Welcome to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast, hosted by award-winning television director, documentary filmmaker, author, and speaker, Craig D. Forrest. Join Craig for the next few minutes as he interviews leaders, artists, and creatives about trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Matchstick Media International. Now, here's Craig. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Craig Forrest. I have a very special guest today who is also a friend and a colleague, traveled all over the world, a feature film director. Welcome, Cristobal Cruzen. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. Nice to be with you. Now, Chris has lived in a number of places, but uh, right now, as we're doing the interview and the podcast conversation, he's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And why, have, after living in the tropics and warm climates, did you pick uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, actually. Yes. Well, many people ask that question of me. And this, the short answer is family. Family reasons brought me here. Two sons who needed, let's just say, a better quality of medical care than they were receiving where we were living before. And M- Minnesota has very good health care services. And so we, we reloc- relocated here primarily for them. And we've made a home here now. We've been here seven years. Very, very good. Uh, Minnesota and the Great Lakes uh, cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, actually have a very thriving art, uh, art uh, community, both in performance and music, uh, and uh, quite a, a good place. And it's absolutely beautiful. And maybe even in January, February, it's beautiful. But uh, it is a, a wonderful state and wonderful people. Midwest people are wonderful people to begin with. Uh, Chris, tell our listeners, where, where did you start? Uh, to, where are your roots, born and raised? Uh, how did you get your start in, in filmmaking? Uh, talk about that. Well, I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. So you can see right there, how did that guy ever end up in Minnesota? Right. You know? And I had a very idyllic childhood, I can say. I was very fortunate. Had a loving mother and father. Never went hungry. My dad was a good provider. I did not grow up in a quote-unquote Christian home, as we might understand that term. But it was a a good home. It was a, a happy home. And I was also the recipient of a very good education. And, well, both parents have passed away now. But my mother believed in the value of education. She often said, no one can take away a good education from you. They might, she was thinking of friends from Cuba who had lost everything in the revolution there and who had moved to Florida and then started with nothing, but they had had a good education in Cuba and they built their career back up. That's kind of what she was referring to and thinking of. And when she said that to me, and I, so she was, she was the, the, the engine behind all her children getting very quality educations. They sacrificed to send us to private schools and so forth. And then when I turned uh, 15, I went to uh, a private boarding school up in New Jersey called the Lawrenceville school and finished out high school there. I, up until that time, I really didn't think much at all of being a filmmaker. I 
grew up thinking that I would be one of three things. I would either become president of the United States, I would become a writer, or I would work on a garbage truck. Because as a little kid, I was fascinated by how the garbage man would hold on to the handle at the back of the garbage truck and drive madly down the streets. I thought that, that was that, so cool. That must have looked like fun to you. It looked like a lot of fun. So I had three career paths before me. And I tended to gravitate toward the writing and began reading the classics of literature, I suppose we could say, from a very early age. And interestingly, though I didn't connect it to filmmaking at the time, I do remember how vividly, and this is probably true of anyone who reads a novel, right? Like the Alexandre Dumas novels, The Three Musketeers, The Count of Monte Cristo. I mean, I would read it and, and, and I, I would, ha I would have a, like almost like a hologram where I, <laughs> the, the whole story would play out in front of me with the full picture and sound and color and the, you know, the whole thing. So it wasn't just reading a book. You, it was you, could in, you could envision it. Yeah, yeah, and I did. And it was, uh, that also tied into uh, a love of acting, which I developed from pretty early on as well. Yeah. And so I was, I would read a, I would read a, I would read The Count of Monte Cristo, for example, and I was almost like I was directing the story too, I suppose, though not thinking of it in those terms. So I, I, I thought maybe I would become a journalist and so forth, uh, you know, to have a, a practical job as a writer, but deep down I wanted to be a novelist, a poet, and I would try my hand at poetry, so forth. And, uh, well, I don't know how much more you want me to talk. I could talk well, a little okay, more about so it. after after a boarding school in New Jersey, um, off to college somewhere? Well, yes, I, I was accepted to Harvard. And wow. yeah, and I was able to skip my first year because I had three AP credits mm -hmm. in English, history, and Spanish. And I took that year off and traveled to Australia. Wow. And on the way there, I bought a camera in the Fiji Islands, my very first camera. It was a Ryko, single lens <laughs> reflex camera. And, or was it a Pentax? I'm not sure now. Maybe I have it mixed up. But it was a single lens reflex, 35 millimeter camera. And I began taking pictures as I traveled through Australia. I spent 10 months in Australia, wow. took odd jobs, traveled literally to every state in Australia all around the country and then headed back to the states going first through japan for a couple of weeks and then europe where i spent uh, a month and a half riding um, a bicycle around germany <laughs> wow. and ended up in northern italy for a time then i went to harvard and i was an english literature major at harvard but one of the electives that i took was a course in introductory filmmaking. And I sort of felt like the duck, you know, that kind of waddles toward the pond and, you know, he's almost comical, right? But then he gets in the water and, oh, he becomes this graceful creature, right? Floating yeah. <laughs> through the water. And I, I just took to it and made my first little student movie there at was Harvard. It eight, eight, eight millimeter back then? It was 16 millimeter oh. reversible film, yeah. Okay. And a funny story about that is the very first film I made, uh, we were given, was it one or two roles? I can't remember. It must have been two. Yeah, two, two or even three 
little 100 foot reels for the well, those camera. Are, those are short. Yeah, little shorts, yep. And uh, black and white reversal film. And I, I got mixed up because I was cameraman and everything. I didn't have an assistant. But it's sort of indicative of why I don't try to shoot my own <laughs> movies. Yeah. I, I, by accident, took one of the reels that I had already shot and put it back in the camera. Oh, <laughs> so, no. Yeah. But here's the, here's the funny part. The funny part is that when I edited the film together with these long scenes that were actually superimposed, right? You know, right. two images. Right. The, 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 the instructors, the professors thought the film was brilliant. Oh, this is wonderful. It was artistic. It was artistic. <laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't having it. And I said, well, thank you. But the truth is, I just forgot that I had already used that roll of film. And I, by mistake, used it twice. And I'm not happy with what I did. Not happy yeah. at all. Yeah. OK. <laughs> and yeah. the professor said, well, you should learn how to accept a compliment in the future. Uh, OK. So how long did you stay at Harvard? I stayed there for a full year, the full academic year, but I had been bitten now by the film bug. Okay. And they didn't have a film school. They still don't have a film school. No, that's not what they're about. That's, <laughs> um, but you know, other Harvard grads went on to where I ended up, the NYU Film School, graduate it's, school. That's a very well-respected school too. Yeah, like um, Edward Zwick, he, he went to Harvard, but he wanted to be a filmmaker, went to Scor Emory Scorsese, 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 exactly. And my story is that I grew impatient and didn't, I didn't have a mentor in my life or maybe I wouldn't have been willing to listen to one as well. I'll have to acknowledge that, but there was nobody to really point me anywhere. And I just thought, well, listen, if I want to be a filmmaker, I need to go to a, and, and finish a college degree, I need to go someplace where they teach film. So I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Okay. For the next year, studied film there and really got it. They had, they do have a, what they call a radio, TV and film department. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I really, that's where I started to grow further. But then I moved to New York City. I uh, moved there. I had fallen in love with a young lady that I had met at Harvard and she was from New York and we Went to, uh, I went to New York to, to live with her, and we started off life as two very young, crazy people. She was a dancer, and I sold encyclopedias for a year. Wow. wow. <laughs> and, yeah, it was, I lived in poverty in Brooklyn, and, uh, but my mother, I have to say, I started off talking about her. She wouldn't let go her dream for her son to finish college. She kept at it and kept on me about it, and I uh, I had not lost my desire to be a filmmaker and ended up going to NYU where I finished up my film school education as an undergraduate, not, not the grad school. The no, undergrad. that's okay. You know, um, I, my undergrad was Bible theology ministry. And then after 25 years in the industry, decided to go back for my master's at age 47 uh, and was the second oldest in my entire class in the grad school. And I was older than every single professor except one. So yeah. uh, you, you, you plug in at the times that you need to plug in. Wonderful conversation with feature film director Chris Cruzen. We'll be back in 32 seconds. Yeah.
This podcast features engaging conversations with leaders, artists, and creatives sharing about current trends and insights shaping our digital world and faith-based media. Today's episode is produced by Matchstick Media International, a nonprofit that's passionate about inspiring both visionary leaders and young creatives to harness the power of media to further the gospel. To learn more, visit us at matchstickmedia.org. Now, back to Craig. Let's join the conversation with Chris Cruzen. Good things that he's saying, great advice. Let's, uh, let's hear more. So you get out of NYU uh, film school. You've got a wonderful uh, degree that you can put a frame around it. What do you do next? Well, I had a friend, a classmate, who had gotten a job at a local company there in Manhattan. It was a locally owned a non-union production company that would do commercials, industrial films, they called them training, what we call training videos today, I guess. And he, he remembered me, kind of like uh, the baker and the, and the wine bearer and the story yeah. of Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> he, he remembered his pal there at NYU and made way, made inquiries and lined up an interview for me. And I got a job there. And that's, that was my very first professional job. I, it was a great learning experience because I got to get my hands into everything. Um, including editing and sound work, um, writing, directing. And they had me in the shipping department for a few weeks and realized that I was very, very uh, misplaced in, <laughs> in that department. So mercifully, I was um, not fired and transferred to a, another area. Well, so you're in your 20s now. You're working at this uh, company that does training and industrials, as the term used to be. We would call it maybe even corporate now. Yeah. Okay. Um, but for the greater sense of it, uh, you're out of school and you do have a job. And that's something that a lot of film school grads don't have. So, uh, these days, a lot of them have to move back with mom and dad and live in the basement or live in the, the bedroom that they grew up in uh, and keep hoping and sending out resumes. But you've got yourself a job. What, so what started happening after that? Well, Craig... I kind of have to talk about faith at this point in a way. Let's, then let's talk faith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to say that I, I was drifting, really, and unclear about my purpose in life, the direction I was headed. I mean, I had dreams, but they were very, very self-centered dreams. Well, I guess dreams by nature are self-centered, but selfish dreams. Um, mm -hmm. Just thinking of myself. Why did I even want to be a filmmaker? Um, well, I wanted to uh, be famous and have um, go to all the, the parties and have a lot of women and make money, and, you know, kind of in that order. And um, I, had, I had impure motives and I was not, I was adrift. I was very much adrift. And when I became, when I turned 20, I want to say 26 or so, 20, maybe 27, right in that time. I just decided, or well, I, more I asked the question of myself and my wife at the time, I asked the question, what, well, it's, it's, it's like the song, is that all there is? Mm -hmm. uh, it, what, 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 what is life about? And, and the question that was specifically haunting me was this, is there more to life than what we observe with our physical senses? Mm -hmm. is, is that all there is? Are the physical senses 
the beginning and the end of human existence? And of course, some people would say, yeah. <laughs> Others would say, well, I don't know. I had this sense that there must be something more. But I couldn't put it in words and I didn't know where to look, where to, where to begin really. I had a friend who's living there in Manhattan in this high rise called Manhattan Plaza where most of the occupants were in the arts. It was kind of subsidized housing in New York City at the time. And there was this guy down the hallway. He was an actor. But remember, most of these artists in the high rise are marginally employed. We're all struggling, most of us. And that's why we needed the subsidized housing. But he, he was into Edgar Cayce and Rosicrucianism. Whoa. And I would talk to him about my spiritual quest. And so he referred me to, in fact, he gave me some books by Edgar Cayce, who that would be what we might call metaphysics. Sure. And Rosicrucianism, he introduced me to that. That's actually occultic, mm. uh, kind of dark, really. And uh, so I sort of explored those things. And we don't have time to go into all the details, but I, I began to become aware that there is a world beyond that which you see with your eyes. And it's not necessarily a good, fuzzy, wuzzy, pleasant place. Mm -hmm. I became aware of demonic things. Um, I remember waking up in my apartment once at two or three in the morning, hearing noises. It was a one-bedroom apartment there in Manhattan. Waking up and hearing noises out in the living room. Uh, and I was alone in the apartment. Hmm. And I walked out in the living room and three or four candles that were on a small coffee table were lit. I had not lit them. Wow. And it just gave me the chills. Uh, there were other things that happened that showed me that this Rosicrucianism was something I needed to get rid of. So I did. I broke off from that completely. And found myself attracted increasingly to Buddhism. You, you may laugh at this, but when I went to see um, Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee, <laughs> right? It, it was right there in Times Square. I'd lived a, a block away from Times Square and I walked over there to see Enter the Dragon, you know, in a movie theater in Times Square. What a trip, right? Uh, and sitting there in the theater watching Bruce Lee, who had such incredible physical prowess, right? I mean, he was just amazing. But I saw more than the physical agility and prowess that he displayed in his, his martial arts. I saw something in his eyes, just something was giving off this presence that he was not just drawing on physical strength. He was drawing on something spiritual. As sure. well. that, that's how it affected me anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I had some Japanese friends. They introduced me to this Buddhist teacher, leader in Japan, and I started reading, studying. So that's sort of what occupied my, my time, uh, my serious time, 26, 27, 28 years old. I was into all the religions, studying them all. I went through were, all you, the world religions. You were, you were searching. I was searching. And the, the, but the one that I didn't want to look into was Christianity. Why not? I just, well, I assumed that Christians were hypocrites. And of course, yeah, a lot of Christians are hypocrites, right? You know, but so are people of any faith. Uh, you're going to find that anywhere. But I, I just eh, didn't really appeal to me. I kind of had misconceptions. Well, I had um, 
what's the word I had, you know, I, I already had assumed a position without investigating it as to what it was. And I went to Australia the second time in 1980 to do research on a screenplay based on a true story that in a very indirect way um, led me to buy a Bible, which I read and became convinced that this is the truth. Reading the Sermon on the Mount wow. was just opened my eyes. I said, whoa, you mean this guy here, this G? Oh, okay. So Christianity is based on the teachings of Jesus. I see. Hmm. Well, I like what he's saying. This, yeah. this is beautiful. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and bless those who persecute you. Yeah. Blessed and, are the yeah. blessed are the meek. Yeah, and the peacemakers and the pure yeah. of heart. And it was it was actually the Sermon on the Mount that so uh, arrested me and stopped me in my tracks and just just broke my heart open. I didn't become a Christian right away, but I became totally engaged by by Jesus and continued reading. I ended up reading the whole Bible, um, started going to a church, was suspicious, but the Lord won me over. And yeah. I'm all, you know, that, that happened in 1981 in Sweden. And I gave my life to the Lord uh, by a riverbank there in Sweden. Wow. And there's a, there's a um, if not a whole movie, there's a short film right there. Yeah. But I've but I've gone on and on. I'm sorry. I mean, no, this this is fascinating. These are also things that I did not know uh, from previous conversations. So you, you give your life to the Lord in Sweden. Um, what's 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 the next chapter or or chapters that come after that? Because you became at a certain point uh, directing feature films. Yeah. Well, what happened the day I gave my life to the Lord? I remember so clearly, I was alone by this riverbank. And I remember so clearly speaking out loud or whether it was an inner dialogue, I couldn't say at this point, but uh, I remember saying, thinking, I'll never be a filmmaker now. That's how I, that's how I viewed, I guess, that's how I viewed faith, right? That a person of deep faith, sincere faith would have to distance himself from filmmaking. And why right. would I say that? Because in my experience, filmmaking was something very egocentric, mm. uh, corrupt, uh, vain, shallow. And I was now, I was now given over to God. I was humble and deep and spiritual. So how could I ever become a filmmaker? And why would I even want to be a filmmaker right. now? Right. And so I thought, well, what I need to do, I said to myself, I need to become a missionary. That's what ah, I said. Ah, there you go. Interesting. <laughs> right. yeah. Yes. So I thought, well, that's how I can be of some use to this amazing Savior. I can, I'll be a missionary. I'll tell others about him and lead others to Christ. Using film? No. <laughs> no, just want to be I, a missionary. Yeah, just a missionary. So I envision myself being some sort of, well, the truth is what I really pictured myself doing was going back to New York City and playing guitar and singing songs about the Lord in public places there in Manhattan on the subways and so forth. You'd be a busker, a busker. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, well, and, a, and street preaching. That, sure. That's how, that's kind of how I saw my ministry. Yeah. Um, 
But I ended up becoming a missionary with Latin America Mission and moving to Miami, Florida, where they were headquartered. And uh, I remember how delighted I was to get a card that from them that said, this is to certify that Cristobal Cruzan is a missionary with Latin America Mission. And I was so proud of that card because when people ask me, well, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a missionary. And I was very proud of that. Mm -hmm. I thought this is what I want to be for the rest of my life. And in some ways, I'll tell you, I still see myself as a missionary. Sure. And I want to be that for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. because I love God. And I want other people to experience his love. So that motivates me more than anything else. But when I was, um, I remember, so I'm really hopping all over the globe here. I want, I'm trying to get you, I'm trying, as we're having this wonderful conversation, to make the jump or the, uh, the graduation from missionary to filmmaker. That's, yeah. that's what well, uh, piques my interest. Well, here's what happened. I was in San Jose, Costa Rica for the mission, Latin America mission. And I was part of a conference there. And I remember looking out the window of my hotel room in San Jose at this movie theater directly across the street with a line of people all the way around the block lined up to buy a ticket to go see a Sylvester Stallone Rambo movie. Wow. And I stood there at the window and time passed and I said, God, if people will line up to see a movie, a movie like Rambo, could you possibly use me to make movies that people would also line up to see? There you they go. would sing your praises. They would declare your glory. They would touch their hearts for you. And from that day in 1983, something began to simmer inside me and it came to a full boil the day after Christmas, 1983, and then into 84, when I launched by faith, the Ministry of Messenger Films, which still exists today. Mm -hmm. My first film was made in Mexico in 1988. It was a 40 minute film. And then I made my first feature film also in Mexico in 1995, called Con Quien Te Vas. And my next feature after that was Final Solution, filmed in South Africa. And I have to say that uh, it was a progressive thing. It didn't happen overnight. I didn't start off making features. I started off with the short film, Ropa Nueva para Felipe, the 40-minute film. And, And I've had many, many ups and downs, many, many times of deep discouragement, times where I couldn't seem to put two pennies together, I, how would I ever make a movie and so forth. So it hasn't been without struggles. Right. Enjoyed this conversation with Chris Cruzen, feature film director. Let's catch more in the next episode. We hope that you will join us. You've been listening to the Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig D. Forrest, brought to you by Matchstick Media International, dedicated to excellence in media through inspiration, vision, and education. To learn more, visit us on the web at matchstickmedia.org. That's matchstickmedia.org. Your generous donations, large or small, help defray costs for producing this creative podcast. Thanks for listening and subscribing.